Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. We're heading into, or arguably are already in, winter respiratory virus season. We've seen the province of Alberta implement their respiratory virus dashboard as of the end of August, I think it was, but I'm working from memory a little bit there. And we're starting to see more and more reports about the impact of respiratory viruses, whether we're talking about influenza or COVID, on emergency rooms. We're also starting to see more and more stories about how some of the initiatives that have been launched in emergency rooms maybe aren't being quite as successful as they were initially promised to be. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more with somebody who we've had on the show before. We're very excited to welcome back to the show again, Dr. Joe Vipon. Dr. Vipon, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Nate. This is awesome to be back. Um, it's awesome, mostly because people aren't getting information generally. And so I'm hoping that we can uh, let, let Albertans know what the hell is going on. So for a little bit of context, and I don't want to go too far into the bio because I know we're working with a limited timeline today. But for a little bit of context, Dr. Joe Vipond is a physician of what and where? Emergency room here in Calgary. And I've been doing this for over 20 years. Perfect. There we go. And you were quite a loud voice during the pandemic because you were raising the alarm about things that some people maybe didn't want to acknowledge about COVID-19 and its impact. And I think it's important to highlight, too, for the conversation that we're going to have today. Yeah. And we're still there. Like a lot of the stuff that I've been pushing for, I think the science has upheld, but certainly our uh, illustrious public health leaders and infectious disease leaders still have not embraced yet. Yeah, I'm told we do have a CMOH, but I think it's one of those things where if he sticks his head out of the groundhog hole, then uh, that means another six months of COVID. But I'm not sure exactly how that works. If he well, sees it, I know. How's this for a simple stat? It's been June 2022 since they've last had a CMOH update on COVID. You, you probably remember there was some E. coli updates a few months ago, but that's well, the only time we've really seen him uh, in person. And you know, it's been over a year since um, our premier has been elected, and I can't think of one time where she's mentioned the number of deaths uh, from COVID or, or, or sent her condolences on. It's It's been pretty stark. Yeah, I think the, the last time I can remember anybody talking to Daniel Smith about COVID was when they asked about the immunization and both she and LaGrange were like, oh, but we've got healthy immune systems. So that's a personal decision why would you look to us for leadership or i'm paraphrasing but um, so in contrast i've had seven i'm quite excited to have had seven i got my last one two weeks ago in anticipation of an upcoming trip and um yeah i'm i'm I, i'm a big believer in the vaccine everybody well, i mean the science is the science so it kind of starts and stops there but and we're going to talk about that trip as we get to the end of our conversation but before we get there what are you seeing for COVID? What's the state of, I mean, we've talked about already, we've talked about the fact that the flow of information has been um, trickly. What are you seeing for COVID? What is it that you think people should be knowing about the current state of COVID? Is it a problem? Should we not worry about it? What are your thoughts? So we are in the ninth wave of COVID. It's it's pretty clear when you look at the, the numbers, but it... <laughs> when I look at the numbers, but it's hard to see the numbers, right? Like the public data, we're getting two bits of information. The first is the respiratory dashboard, which if you just pop onto that um, 
that opening page on the uh, on the dashboard it doesn't really tell you a lot it tells you what's happened in the last week and 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 not much more beyond that it really takes a bit of an effort to interpret what the heck's going on based on that uh, in particular one of the things that you'll see with hospitalizations is they're only telling you how many people um, are admitted with or with a contributing cause to COVID. And so that means we're getting a small proportion of the total numbers because there are other categories too. People who are just in, in there, what they call incidentally, and also those that have been not determined. And I can tell you, because I have access to the internal dashboard, we're only seeing about a third of the numbers. And why that's concerning is because it's not clear how they're factoring in who is in what category, right? Like there's there's, there's never been any openness as to, is there a single person doing this? Is there a group of people doing this? Is it the admitting doctor that's doing this? And I'm based on what criteria. Nate, you're an EMS person. You've probably seen tons of people that have over the age of 80 and have just kind of randomly fallen. They come into the eMERGE and we, we test them for COVID and they fell because they're weak because they, you know, they're just barely coping. COVID pushes them over the edge and they start to fall. Unexplained falls is kind of like the loss of taste and smell from the beginning part of the, the pandemic, at, at least in the elderly population. So if you fall and break your hip at the age of 80 because of COVID, are you admitted with COVID? Are you admitted with COVID as a contributing cause? Or is it unrelated because you're really there for a broken hip? I don't know, I have no idea because no one's been able to, to, to explain that to me. My sense is, and I could be wrong, but some, you know, somebody asked the bosses, contributing, I mean, in for COVID means it's a respiratory illness, like that pneumonitis that we're seeing where you can't breathe. Contributing cause would be anything else, like, I don't know, maybe hyponatremia, or maybe, I, I don't really know what contributing cause is, uh, but I also really don't know what unrelated is. Uh, and a big number is those undetermined that we haven't figured it out yet. And so, that's a big concern. Now, I just want to do a shout out to one person, Robson Fletcher just started doing um, some formal stats reporting that just first one came out this week. I understand he's going to be doing that weekly. And I think that's going to be your best place to understand what the heck's going on, because he's been a really important stats voice for COVID over the years. Took some time off to have some, some babies, um, and now he's back, which is great for Albertans. I'm curious. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about the COVID piece is I had something um, about four months ago and it gave me a whopping pneumonia. Um, I, I'm told that I had a very impressive chest x-ray. I don't want to brag, but it was impressive. <laughs> um, and I have no complaints. I need to be very clear about this. At the, the facility that I went to, they did an absolutely amazing job. They provided absolutely wonderful care. Um, I got to convalesce at home because of the quality of, of care that they were able to provide. But I couldn't help but notice that at no point did they do a COVID test, which was fascinating to me because, you know, I'm there with something cooking up in there and you know there was a time where that would have been like bang you're getting a COVID test but it didn't happen what does the testing regimen look like right now to your knowledge for how people are tested for COVID what triggers that yeah and I can't speak for every emergency doctor in every emergency um, but I can tell you that my practice seems to be very similar to all of my colleagues you know we're all independent practitioners but we all do handover so we have a very similar pattern of practice Anybody with any kind of respiratory illness, uh, so, you know, sore throat, 
fever, runny nose, cough, short of breath, um, low oxygen levels. Those would all, especially if they're coming into the hospital, would all get uh, a COVID test. And then the other category would be anybody who's unexplained, like like those falls when somebody's been falling, we don't know why, or they're in with unexplained weakness and we don't know why. And we've kind of like done, okay, it's not, it's not a bladder infection, it's not a kidney failure, it's not a heart attack. What could it be? Well, better throw a COVID test on that because there's just been so much weird stuff there. So I would say that's kind of our pattern of practice. We're, we were told quite a while ago not to test outpatient COVID type symptoms and that to encourage people to do their own home tests. Not exactly sure why the differentiation between that and every other illness that people care about, because as you know, especially if you're over the age of 65 or if you have comorbidities, there's actually a treatment for this. It's called Paxlovid. Um, there's also IV remdesivir, which is being used as an outpatient. So I think it's my obligation, even if someone's going home, to ensure that they know that. I had a pregnant um, a young woman the other day uh, who had COVID, and I'm like, I'm so glad I tested you. <laughs> Because they're the, they're one of the categories that are high risk that 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 deserve those outpatient treatments. Yeah, I want to talk as well about the state of the emergency rooms. I mean, we've certainly been hearing some anecdotal stories. We got a DM here uh, at the show this week uh, from somebody who was talking about the state of the the EMS situation uh, um, in hospital hallways where paramedics are now being. Uh, I mean, Daniel Smith did her. Ah, paramedics are never going to wait in hospital hallways anymore, and it sounds like that might have turned into a. We meant for like six weeks and and now they'll they'll wait again. Um, what are the at EMS as one sort of first part of the question, but secondary to that, what are you seeing inside of the emergency rooms? Are we seeing an uptick of respiratory stuffs showing up at the emergency rooms? Yeah. So I mean, when I go to work, I only see like 15 patients a shift. So um I, it's hard for me to see those trends. What I can tell you is that in the hospital, um, like right now, there's been a steady high level of COVID admissions since, um, and it's been very stable since about the beginning of November. Uh, and it's, it's approximately, I'm trying to remember, I did the numbers, it was like something around 12% of all of the hospital inpatient beds are taken up with COVID patients. And so you can imagine um, where you're already kind of have an overwhelmed system that when you have these excess patients filling up inpatient beds that don't need to be there, um, it's going to have an impact. And, and what really I think I find personally distressing is that a lot of those patients actually got COVID in hospital. So hospitals are kind of special for a couple of reasons. The first thing is, is that the people who go there are a higher susceptibility than you or me or the general population, right? They're in there for a reason. Maybe they have a different pneumonia or they just had their hip surgery or they, um, they're, they're old and weak and have other comorbidities. So they're at a higher risk for poor outcomes than say you or I getting COVID. And the other thing is about hospitals is that sick COVID patients, guess what? They end up in hospital. So there's a higher concentration of COVID uh, hanging out there. And because COVID is airborne, and because AHS has never acknowledged that COVID is airborne, then we have substandard um, methods of, of, of dealing with uh, infection control, like using surgical masks instead of uh, 
uh, respirator masks. And by the way, Nate, I would, I think EMS is awesome, but they're, they're one of the worst offenders for not wearing the right, right mask. So we need to, we need to get some education and I, you know, I don't blame the EMS, like what's going on with your leadership that, 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 um, you know, the, the EMS crew and, and a lot of our, our, our other staff don't understand asymptomatic transmission, don't understand long COVID, don't understand how, even if you feel perfectly normal, you can be a risk to that patient just because you could, you could be about to get COVID and be transmitting the virus. I mean, it's fascinating to me that Edmonton as a, a health region has mandated in many places uh, masks back and mm -hmm. somehow Calgary has managed to blow this little bubble of we shall not. Uh, it's it's wild. And I think that, you PLC, know, PLC just came in on Friday, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. PLC is now a masking center and the uh, the cancer center, the Tom Baker Cancer Center has has masking. Um the, there's some sort of internal threshold that needs to be met before masking isn't put in place. I haven't been told what that threshold is. I don't understand why the house has to be on mostly on fire before we pull the fire alarm rather than trying to prevent the fire from ripping through. We know it's coming, right? Like, it's just like, it's just like, when we were going through the waves in in um you know 2020 2021 we were like we know we're gonna have to put in measures at some point because it's coming like there's the stats tell us that why not do it early so you have less impact on the population so it has to be a shorter duration so that it has to be um hurt hurt less people but but for some reason i, I don't understand i i understand it's probably political but hey, AHS is an independent arm of the government. It's not beholden to, to the government, or so I'm. I've read in the papers for, for now. Yeah. Um, what about the like? I I feel like this is a bit of a softball question, but when it comes to the respiratory viruses, I mean, I took a look at the dashboard before we we hopped on for this conversation. Um. Of all of the respiratory viruses, what are the ones that seem to be impacting the most? Because looking at the dashboard, overwhelmingly, it doesn't look like anybody who's paying any attention to the data can say, ah, it's just flu season because flu, when compared to like cases of influenza, when compared to cases of COVID and pretty much all of the categories on that dashboard kind of equate to almost a rounding error. But am I reading that wrong? Well, I mean... Presuming all the data is is 100% accurate, which I have no reason to to doubt otherwise, um, the uh, deaths, which are fully reported from the end of August, show 220 COVID deaths and 11 influenza deaths and no RSV deaths. Now, to put that in perspective, influenza is for sure a seasonal virus. We do have peaks of influenza. We're just going into that peak now. Uh, or not, I wouldn't say that peak. We're just going into that season now and we're seeing ramped up rates uh, in the hospitals influenza. But that doesn't mean that because COVID's here all year round, it doesn't have as much seasonality that uh, we, we pretend they're the same thing. Um, so yeah, this uh, equating the two uh, is bizarre. Um, what I'm really watching for right now is what's going to happen with RSV and kids this year 
If you recall last year around this time was the triple get in of influenza, COVID and RSV that filled our, our children's hospitals. It was really bad and they had to open up like uh, accessory triage, I think at the at the children's hospital here in Calgary. And, and in those uh, trailers. Yeah, and so we were told this was something called immunity debt that that people, because they hadn't been exposed to these common viruses that we had lost our immunity Immunity is like a, a, a muscle that you need to exercise. And if you haven't exercised it, then you're going to, to be more susceptible. And that was said pretty definitively by a lot of people in the media. It's very reassuring, right? Because so therefore lockdowns are bad and we can never have that again and masks are bad. Um, the problem is, is there was a counter theory. There's a couple of counter theories, but the one I really want to look at is immunity theft, which is this idea or immunity dysfunction that COVID in and of itself can have an impact on the immune system. And therefore, when you do get some of these um, illnesses, you're at a higher likelihood of, of, of getting more sick and possibly even dying. And then for the kids, it wasn't so much dying, but just getting more sick and having to be hospitalized. So how on earth could we ever figure out which of those two um, is true? And uh, we had made that argument about a year ago that, well, we just need to go through another virus um, season because if it's immunity debt, then we should have paid it all back last year. Everybody got sick. You know, how many how many parents can speak to to the number of infections their, their kids got last year? It was, oh, my kid's sick all the time. Um, so that should be paid back in spades now. And so if this viral season um, is back to normal, then it's immunity debt. Um, if if it's not back to normal, then we have to be concerned about this immune dysfunction, which then means we need to do more protections, not less protections, more masking. And I think we're about to find out. There was an article that was published this morning um, that McMaster uh, Ch Children's Hospital is overwhelmed um, with and predominantly RSV. And so and I've heard similar things from Texas. Um, so this is suggesting maybe we are getting closer to the truth. Um, the other third theory worth mentioning is that these are co-infections so that it's okay if you get COVID, it's okay if you get RSV, but if you get COVID and RSV at the same time, then you're really going to be sick. Um, so just to throw that out as a, a third option, still means we have to protect against COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you talked about some of the things that you're seeing in uh, other areas of North America, but we're starting to hear some stories. I wanted to ask you about this as well before I let you go. Uh, we're starting to hear some stories about this mysterious pneumonia that's popping up internationally. Is there any thoughts that you have on that? Like, is that one of those things that you should just go, ah, not a big deal. Or is that one of those things that go, Hey, remember January of 2020, this is starting to sound awfully familiar. Well, let, let's watch this space closely. I think it's too early to tell. Um, it could even be that they're going through in, in, in China, what we went through last year with, um, you know, some of that, uh, whatever kind of triple demic that we went through from whatever cause, um, and it, it's not clear that it's a novel pathogen. There has been some reports that there's something called mycoplasma pneumonia, which is a pretty typical virus. It's actually called an atypical virus, but it's, it's a well-known illness um, that can be treated with antibiotics. Um, again, I think the real question is, is why are kids getting sicker from that disease, if that's indeed the, the cause? 
Um, I have never heard of anything called mycoplasma pneumonia debt. Um, I, th I, th I think it'd be unusual for that to be the reason. And so we need to understand if there's something different about the pathogen or is it something different about the care, the, uh, the, the infected person. Um, and again, this, this may or, or may not be um, some signs of a immunity debt uh, poking its head up or some other thing. So let's watch this space. Let's not call judgment yet. Heading into the silly season, we got the holidays coming up right away here. What are your recommendations for what people should do if they're trying to keep when it comes to this respiratory virus season? Um, yeah. I don't, I don't... One of the things that's been most frustrating for those of us that, that care about um, COVID safety is that there's lots we can do. It's not like we're we're powerless when it comes to this. Um, so let's talk about some of the, the simple things. The first is, is um, we know these are dangerous times because we're mixing a whole bunch of people together that may or may not have COVID. Um, Tara Moriarty, who's been doing some amazing statistics uh, on Twitter and on a website, um, she's estimating right now that one in 14 people in Alberta has COVID. Um, so extremely common. So if you get 28 people in a room, maybe two of them have COVID, um, and of course, we, we don't have that same incentive to stay at home if we're feeling a little bit under the weather than we used to. So it's more likely for people to be in that space um, unwell. So one thing you could do is test. You know, the tests are still free. I got a, 10 of them yesterday from my local pharmacy. Um, you can go get them for free. You can test before you go into gatherings. And it may or may not pick up the COVID, but it's better than not testing. So uh, and especially if you have symptoms and you should be testing serially every day until your symptoms gone, because we are seeing people that go negative, negative, negative. Oh, day four positive. So don't just give up after your first uh, one or two tests. Um, so that's one simple thing. Test before your uh, meeting and gatherings. Um, because it's airborne, there are ways where you can decrease your risk of getting infected. Um, for if you're just face to face with people, the only way you can protect yourself that way is with a mask. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. Um, if you're in a poorly ventilated space, the way to, to deal with long um, distance transmission is to get some filtration and some ventilation in there. If it's warm enough, open the windows. Um, you can get your furnace fan, make sure there's a MERV 13 filter in there, run it you know, constantly while you have people over. Um, consider getting or making uh, an in-room filtration system. So um, there, there's lots of them at Canadian Tire. You can find them online. The, the commercial ones are a bit pricey, you know, two, three hundred, four hundred dollars $400. Um, you can make one yourself. It's called a Corsi Rosenthal box. There's lots of blueprints online as for, to, how to, to how to make those cost about a hundred bucks. They last for forever. I mean, you can vacuum the filters and, and rejuvenate them if you want to. Um, so uh, there, there, there are ways of mitigating the danger. We don't have to be stuck in our basements doing nothing, um, and, but we can't just pretend it's 2019 again, because it's not, things have changed. And we have, and, and just the last thing I think I have to mention, before we go is long COVID. Long COVID is real. Long COVID can affect vaccinated people. Long COVID can affect people that are healthy and exercise just like Adriana Lagrange and, and uh, uh, Premier Smith. So, um, and you don't wanna be perpetuating the chain of transmission to your potentially vulnerable um, friends and family. So there's lots of reasons to wanna not get COVID. Um, 
So try not to get COVID. There we go. Now you dropped, you name dropped someone there, Daniel Smith, Premier Daniel Smith. She's been talking about her big plans. She's got some traveling coming up. You mentioned that you're getting immunized. And I heard a, a, a little rumor that perhaps you and Daniel Smith are both going to COP28. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think you're. I don't think I'll be seeing her in economy on Air Canada. Um, I heard rumors that she's bringing 140 delegates, 140 delegates um, from Alberta alone, um, government and, and corporate. And I think there's just going to be a handful of us civil society people trying to counter that narrative. So, yeah, that's why I'm going to try and uh, make a difference. I, I don't know how successful I'll be, but I got to try, right? Like. They have so much power, so much money, so much communication um, support, and and we'll be spitting in the wind. But uh, stay tuned. Um, I'll be trying to post some some videos, debunction junction, as I try and debunk some of the um, the greenwashing talking points that that we're hearing. And just to be be clear, like she's going to COP in the same week that she's doing her sovereignty act to limit the climate action that the government and many, many, many institutions say we need to do, which is net zero by 2035 in our electricity sector. Um, and at the same time, they're going to be celebrating CCUS, which has, uh, by any objective measure, been a flop here in Alberta and elsewhere. Um, and and I, I'm really concerned that the main narrative is going to be, look at us, we're different now, we're not those 2020 oil and gas guys we 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 want this um future carbonless world as long as we can still produce oil and gas and it's 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 a bit of a pipe dream that i don't think uh is is possible and so i'm going to try and counter that narrative well, i'm just curious if anyone's going to offer uh brian Jean if he attends a, a glass of muddy water but uh, I guess we'll we'll see what we see there. Dr. Vipline, I know you're in a time crunch, so I don't want to take up any more of your time than, than you've been generous enough to give. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Is there any final thoughts you want to pe leave people with? Anything else you want to throw out there before you run off to your next thing? Well, I just, I, th I think it's tragic that we have to do this. Um, I, I believe you're a volunteer. Uh, I'm a volunteer. You know, there's people who are actually paid to do the work that we're doing right now, um, and they should be doing this work. This is not nothing that we said today is not things that the Alberta public um, should be digging for to find out. Right. This is basic stuff during a pandemic, which still isn't over. So um, I don't know. Guys, do your job, please. There we go. All right, Dr. Vibon, thank you so much. And I wish you nothing but safe travels to COP28. All right, let's check in later. All right, sounds good. And that's it for another episode of The Breakdown. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here, we would love nothing more than if you thought about signing up to be one of our Patreon sponsors at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab, where for just the price of a fancy cup of coffee a month, you can help us continue to produce this kind of content. Whether you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, in which case, maybe leave a, a review and a rating, or whether you're watching it on one of our streaming platforms, we wanna say a big thank you to everybody who is part of the Breakdown's audience. And as always, take care of each other and keep the conversation going.